Mindfulness Mode 423. I'd like to find out what's in my way of having a, a, a much better life. Let me do this. So I went and did it myself. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to Mindfulness Mode, where you can reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. I'm Bruce, your host, and today you can receive your own guided meditation that can help you abandon your inner blocks and surrender your stress. Now, I recorded this meditation myself, and I I totally believe this is going to make a difference for you. It's going to help you just reach that that state of being more focused and having a better level of contentment and uh, you know it'll help with your concentration too it's it's a full 30 minute long guided meditation just listen to part of it if you want to or listen to all of it I think it will be something that you'll really appreciate the cost is four dollars and 99 cents you can get it right away at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash release now, Mindful Tribe, today I have an amazing guest. Today's guest has built the world's, now get this, the world's largest coaching business, becoming number one on Google for Life Coaching and serving huge audiences worldwide. He now coaches high-performing leaders to play the best game they possibly can, deepening connection and living a regret-free life. How does David do this? By setting life-changing goals, taking laser-focused action, and increasing their levels of truth, daring, and caring. David believes in incorporating play into life and keeping it real. So his website is playforreal.life. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview. Hey, Mindful Tribe, this is going to be a lot of fun. I've got a wonderful, fantastic guy who loves to explore and and check out all kinds of exciting things in the world. And and he's also a world-renowned coach. His name is David Wood. Hey, David, are you in mindfulness mode today? I don't know, Bruce. I mean, I'm as present as I am. Whether we call that mindful, I don't know. Well, let's call it mindful. What about that? All right. We'll call it mindful. Okay. I'm in mindfulness mode. And I bet you say that nice stuff about all the guests. I'd be interested to hear you say, I got a terrible guest this week. He's just a lousy guy, but we're going to listen to him anyway. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. And I could say, you know, this will be totally boring today. So get, get ready for that. Right. But I don't think it's going to be boring, David. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. David, what does mindfulness mean to you? Let's get started there. For me, it means awareness of what's happening. So uh, I tend to get in my thoughts a lot. And I would say when that's happening, I'm not mindful at all. I'm living in the thought realm, which is great. I mean, that's valid and important. But when I can come back to, hey, what am I aware of in my body? Something shifts. We're drawing energy away from the thoughts into the body. What am I aware of in the other person? What am I aware of in my environment? And can I, at a meta level, can I even be aware of, of what's happening? Say I'm getting angry. Can I be aware of that? Hey, I'm getting angry right now. I'm feeling really mad. So there's my medium short answer on what mindfulness means to me. I'm curious what it means to you. Well, mindfulness means a whole lot of things to me. And I've picked up 
oh, so many interesting aspects of mindfulness from so many people, but it just means really uh, a lot of it is not judging others, not judging situations, not judging. I think the more we can not judge, the better we start to feel. You start to feel a freedom, like you've been able to let go of a lot of baggage. You know what I mean? Hmm. Well, we may have different different definitions because to me, I could be judging and mindful that I'm judging. So I want everyone to be mindful first. Let's at least be honest about what's happening. Sure. Really judging you right now. And then from there, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Judging doesn't always give us the best. I mean, negative judgments, right? Positive yes. judgments seem yeah. to work pretty well. I yeah, they do, actually. <laughs> yeah, no problem with that. No. <laughs> yeah. So... I, I would, I'm, I'm going to uh, disagree with you. I would not, and I don't normally take contrary positions, but I wouldn't say mindfulness is not judging. I would say not judging might be an outcome of mindfulness. I think it definitely is an outcome for sure. I think the first part of it is living in the moment and getting used to not spending so much focus on the past or worrying about the future. What do you think about that aspect of it? I just feel my body relax. I, like there's a sigh happening over here. Um, I, my mind is very developed and very busy. I developed a lot. Like that's where I go to um, to kind of get myself. I think I'm going to get myself out of trouble. And I've spent the last 20, 30 years um, practicing something else, starting to learn what I feel, starting to at least notice when I'm up here. I mean, just this week, a friend said to me twice, because I, I, I'm in a new relationship and I'm trying to like work it out. And my friend said, you're spinning. And, I, and it occurred to me is, is there another way? Like, what do you mean? So just the idea of, okay, I'm spinning right now. Mind wants to work it out. Can I come back to here, feel my body, maybe dance around a little bit and just draw some of the energy away? from all that thinking, that's, that's a start. Yeah, I think it is. And you are all about play for real, play for real. How did you land on that theme and decide that that's what you wanted to focus on? I love being asked that question. It was a birthing process. I mean, branding is in my experience. It, it doesn't usually come in a flash. And this was a, um, maybe a, maybe a year or over a year, I knew I wanted to help people and I knew I wanted people to have a better life, mm -hmm. uh, but I couldn't find the words. And then people kept reflecting back to me uh, bit by bit how I was showing up for them. And one guy into, uh, introduced me to a colleague as this guy is playful and deep. And I liked that. And I realized that play is like you don't have to know me for very long to realize that I like to play. Even like even if the plane's engine's on fire, um, if there's nothing I can do about it, and I've been in this situation, then I can I can I can usually find how to be playful. So that was one of my values. But I don't want people to think that it's play in terms of it's just frivolous and nothing matters. I actually hold, I guess it's playful and deep. I hold both values. 
let's play so that we don't get all tense and tight and we can be in our state of flow and enjoy ourselves, but let's also play like it matters. Let's play for real so that when we are in our deathbed, we can know that we gave it everything in the game of life and the game of business and the game of connection. And we can feel like we, we gave it all. So play for real. Well, you've just been playing for the last few months, going around to different countries and having fun. Tell us about that kind of playing that you've been doing. I, I think I've been playing for 50 years, but I do forget. I do often forget and I get very serious. And then, um, well, yeah, I was in Bali and I went to Bali because I, I had the thought, what would I do if I had six months to live? I wasn't happy. And I thought, what would I do if I only had six months? And I realized I would go to Bali. I would probably spend most of that time in Bali with the Balinese people. So I decided I'm going to do it now. I think I have more than six months, but let's live. Mm -hmm. I, wanna, I call this actually, Bruce, I'm starting to call this risk management. We often think, oh, I don't want to take that risk because what might happen if I move to Bali, right? But what about the risk that you die six months from now and you didn't live fully? I want people to manage that risk too. So I, I went to, I'll, I'll step off my uh, soapbox for a second. I went to Bali and um, was there for almost three years, learned some of the local languages. And then um, I left Bali, I had like life circumstance change and I'm out of Bali and I'm like, what am I gonna do with my life? I was like retired. What am I gonna do that has a sense of purpose and mission and passion so I went back to coaching, but now in um, not, I was specifically coaching people on how to make money with an online business and how to make money um, being of service through coaching. So I let go of that and I said, what would I really want? And I want people to play for real. Uh, but I didn't know where to base myself. So I went to Australia for six months, spent time with the family, got my green card back. And then I came back to San Francisco, check that out. How does that feel again? Went to Columbia for six months uh, with my paraglider. Um, went paragliding in the mountains of Columbia. Um, came back to the US, toured a little bit, checked out Boulder, Colorado. And I've decided it's time for a home base. I want to know where my socks are. And Boulder, Colorado is an amazing community of wonderful people. So as of three weeks ago, here I am. Haven't, haven't, haven't found a place for my socks yet, but that's coming. Oh yeah. You got to find a place for your socks. Yeah. Yeah. You got to right. do that. Well, right. so paragliding, what is it about paragliding that you love so much? Is it the mindfulness? Wow. I hadn't thought about it. that. Definitely. It has all my attention, <laughs> has my attention when I'm checking the weather and watching other people take off and I'm waiting for my turn to bring up the wing and run off a mountain, it has all my attention. So it's possible that that's one of the things that drew, that draws me. The other thing is freedom. I just, you know, I love seeing dolphins like dive and, and swim and, and the idea of soaring even on a flying fox and to be able to step off a mountain and go wherever I want in the air. It's, it's not only been a dream of mine, it is a dream of mine. I literally dream about flying. The two things I dream about uh, over, the, over the years that keep popping up is um, flying and having sex. Those are the two, when I have a lucid dream, those are the two things I want to do. I want to fly and have sex. 
So, um, so have you ever I'm flown not, and had sex at the same time? I was just going, I just realized, uh, not going to talk about dream. that. Not even in a dream. I haven't done that. Oh yet, but, uh, the time is coming. Time. There's still time. Yes. Yeah. I love that freedom and to go down to a set of trees and like fly next to them and not know if I'm going to get lift. Like sometimes not know if I'm going to make it over those power lines. I need nature to come in and, and, and help me. That's a real rush. Now, I, I should say I'm, I've hung up my wing. I'm selling it. I had a, an accident in, uh, in Colombia. I actually broke my back. Ooh. Um, so I got to play and I got to touch the sky and I got 100 hours of flying over a couple of years. But it had me realize that it's kind of a matter of time. Eventually, if I keep flying, I'm going to break something. If I'm lucky, that's all. Or I'm going to die or be paralyzed or something. So I've realized that's done. And uh, I have a huge value on daring. I really do. And I also have a value on living. I really, part of me, like playing for real for me is also sticking around so that I can, I can play for real for as long as possible. So when you were a little kid, David, when you were seven years old, were you that same kind of daring kid that wanted to be doing everything else that the other kids were not doing? Tell us about a day in your life. You know, that might be right. My mother says if, if she wanted me to get me to do something, the best way was to tell me it couldn't be done. So I don't, I don't remember being like that, but she said you, and I was also hyperactive. She actually had to, t <laughs> I haven't told this in an interview yet. <laughs> she would tie me to the, to the clothesline with a, with a strip of pantyhose. <laughs> Right, because it was stretchy. Yes, and, and and she said I'd run and get to the end and be jerked back on my on my back. I I'm sure these days that was your bungee experience as a child. Yes, that was my that was my bungee. I'm sure that uh, someone would report it these days to to welfare, but I would do that. And at other times, I, apparently, I'd run round and round the clothesline until there was no uh, no length left. <laughs> I have to kind of unwind myself because otherwise, she'd turn around and I'd be off down the street. So apparently. I was pretty hyperactive as a. So, what was it like for you uh, sitting in school? Did you actually sit in school? Yeah, I they like they didn't actually put me on meds. I don't think I had ADD. I just had a lot of energy, mm -hmm. and in school, I, I think so, some of the teachers hated me because I was so much trouble, and some of the teachers loved me because I think they enjoyed my mind, and I would be the kid that was um, goofing around, throwing some. Um, you know, paper, paper balls at, at other kids and coming out with jokes and also asking a question anytime. I'd be that kid. Hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? And then I do my homework at home. I kind of catch up. So yeah, half super annoying and half uh, really promising. And did you ever bully other kids or did you ever get bullied or anything like that? Did I bully other kids? No, I don't think that was my style. I definitely got bullied. And um, I saw your question. You sent me a question ahead of time about was there, an, was there a bullying incident um, where mindfulness did help or would have helped? And I've thought about one in my adult life where I think mindfulness really came in handy for me. I mean, I'm still living. Um, 
this was, I actually did Turnaround House with Byron Katie. Oh, did uh, you? Yeah, so that's a month in a house with nine other people and they take away pretty much everything that looks like fun right. and all your stuff comes up and you have to write down your thoughts and do it mm -hmm. every single day. And sometimes during the night, I'm doing the work on my thoughts. And there was this one guy in there I'm not good with sleeping in a room with other people. And I had three guys in my room and two of them had anger management issues. Now this one guy was an NFL player, um, a bodybuilder and a boxer. And he hated me. He was so annoyed with me. Like just how I was showing up was getting on his nerves. And, and I was having, I couldn't sleep like adrenaline shooting through my body. I'm really scared in this room with this guy. And one uh, night I got up to leave the room because I couldn't sleep and he leapt out of bed and said, what the hell are you think you're doing? And he just like, like looked like he was gonna kill me. And I started practicing what I'd learned from, from Katie about literal listening, just literal listening, not letting all my stories get in the way, but literally listening to the words. And I said, uh, I'm sitting here, on the bed talking to you and I'm noticing my breath and I'm feeling my body and I'm feeling alive. And he screamed at me, I'm going to snap your neck like a pencil. He even said, I'm going to put a knife in your hand and make it look like someone look like it was self-defense, which is really scary because that looks like premeditation. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just kept, I just kept being as present as I could with him. And I said, I don't think you will. There's no againstness. I was just like, I don't think you will. And he screamed, why not? And I said, I just don't get the sense that you actually want to do that. Telling the truth. Anyway, he didn't rip my head off. And I found out later at the end of the course that he's never hit anybody. Never had to. Oh, wow. But um, he had a whole bunch of stuff apparently that, that I was triggering. So I think I really think mindfulness saved my saved my ass in that situation. I didn't react. I didn't fight because part of my mind's like, I wonder if I could take him. I mean, I weigh 143 pounds, and and it's been 30 years since I did a karate class. But I'm like, maybe I could take him. <laughs> Someone pointed out that's not that's not a good strategy. He will right. kill you. Right. He's trained. He will kill. I was like, huh? Okay, dodge that one. <laughs> so there's my there's uh there's my bullying story wow wow it sounds like it must have been pretty scary when was the first time you knew that you wanted to coach when did you get into coaching i um i when i was 17 i got a taste of a personal growth program it's called the it's called ryla rotary youth leadership award and i got in there by a bit of luck and it was my first experience of feeling connected to people, like having my heart open. I didn't call it that. I just knew I felt really good. And I really bonded with those people in a way I don't know if I'd bonded with anybody. Because mm. I'd been, I'd been, for context, I'd been shut down since the age of seven. When I was seven, I had something traumatic. Um, my little sister and I were coming home from school and she was killed by the school bus. Oh. And I, I was there and I watched it go down and I didn't know I had any impact. I just, you keep on going with your life. But what happened apparently is I shut down and I just learned not to feel. And I learned to develop this. 
Mm. So at the age of 17, it was like, whoa, what's happening? I'm trusting people. This is really, this is really beautiful. And then nothing else happened for the next, uh, well, that's not true. Um, for the next six or seven years, nothing happened except I was having trouble in relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I kept breaking up with, with a woman who I thought I loved. Finally, I went to therapy and I'm like, help me. Is there any help? What the hell is going on? And he said, I think, hypothesis, that you haven't grieved for your sister. I think you got a complicated grief reaction. I think I can help you. Oh, my God. Best day of my life. Um, there, now there was a possibility that I could change how I am with people. Mm-hmm. And then at the age of 27, someone suggested that my wife go to counseling. No, go to, go to Landmark Education. Oh, yes. Go and, the, go and do the Landmark Forum that's run by Landmark Education. And they said, I think, you know, she really needs to change. And I said, well, the more you talk about this course, the more I'm thinking I'd like to do it. Like, I'd like to find out who I really am. I'd like to find out what's in my way of having a, a, a much better life. Let me do this. So I went and did it myself. And I said, I'll never do another one. I'm just doing this one. I'm not going to be one of those damn self-help junkies. Mm-hmm. The famous last words. Right. Uh, I was very cynical. And I don't want all these people just trying to get my money and just they're, they're weak because they're just constantly trying to do all this self-help stuff. Well, the first one really opened me up and I was like, wait, something's going on here. I did the other one because I saw other people bouncing off the walls after they did the second one. I'm like, I want that. So I went and did the second one and it was in the second one I found that I was coaching people. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stop myself. If people were stuck, I'd be like, well, what if you tried this? Or what's really, you know, I just found myself doing it and there was one woman um was sitting in a car at the end of the course and she told me that her husband had an affair 10 years earlier and that she'd been holding that over him as a way to control him Uh and punish him for 10 years she also told me that she'd had an affair 10 years earlier but she hadn't shared that bit with him right and in the car, I just watched her and I watched courage emerge and I watched her get in touch with, I'm going to go and share this with him and I'm going to reveal this. And she went and did it and she came back to the course and she just got up on stage and she said, I told him everything. And we felt like we were floating six feet above the ground the whole weekend. It was the most incredible experience. And I was hooked. I'm like, I want to do this. Um, so I knew if I did in the next course, they would train me so that I could coach people going through the last one, which was the self-expression and leadership program. So I, I went and did that. I didn't know you could do it professionally. I just wanted to coach. And so I'm coaching people now. And then this guy had a business card that said coach. I'm like, wait a minute, this could be a career. And that was back in 1997. So mm-hmm. now coaching's obviously a really big thing, but back then it was still, let's just see how this works. And uh, I'm hooked. I just, I can't, I can't help myself. If I can see that someone's in some kind of pain or there's some kind of self-expression, authenticity or daring that that's available that they're not grabbing. I just, would you like a little insight around that? Boom. Wow. Wow. Do you still remember the the first person you coached professionally when you, you actually started the actual practice? Yeah. I do. Uh, I printed off some business cards, put them in my pocket and carried them around for six months. And then I was, 
I was actually uh, an entertainer. I, I quit my actuarial job. I used to consult to Fortune 100 companies, quit that, and I was playing guitar and performing in pubs and for parties. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is my self-expression. Like, right. again, what if I had just six months to live? This was something I really wanted to do. And someone auditioned as a singer in my duo. And we got talking and I, I said, and she said she, there was some stuff about her life that she wanted to change. I said, well, actually, I'm just starting in coaching. What if I just charge you 25 bucks uh, a week, something nominal? I'll get training and practice and you'll get coaching. So she was my, she was my first client. Ah, wow. That must have been yeah. exciting. And uh, so then you continued to play music as well while you did this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was playing music and I was also still consulting as an actuary to pay the bills. And, and I started coaching. She was my first, first client. And then it turned out she wasn't the best client for me. I've, I've since learned that um, my, my best clients are not people who are really struggling in life. You know, they're really just struggling at every turn. That's, that's usually, in my experience, more of a therapy situation. But um, people who are already doing well in a number of areas, they al already have a track record of success and they can glimpse that there's so much more available. Those are my clients. She, I ended up referring her to a, to a therapist. And do you coach both men and women? And do you prefer men or women? I haven't noticed a preference. Um, I noticed on my testimonial page, there are a lot of men showing up. Um, right now I have, I have three women clients and maybe five male clients. And over the past 20 years, it's, it was more women than men showing up for building a coaching business, which was really interesting. So interesting question. I, I, I don't know that I have a preference. I want people who really are interested in learning and growing and they really listen. They're really coachable. They're like, all right, give me a, give me a frame and I'll try it on and see if it works for me. That, that inspires me. So if they're just after business success, if that's all they want, they should go to another coach because I can do that. But I want to do that in the context of who are you and how can you be more truthful? How can you be more daring? How can you be more caring? And how can you, at the end of the day, have deeper connection? Because I really think that's the game that we're playing. Yeah, I think it is too, that whole connection piece. How do we... How do we truly connect? Because so, much, so many of us think we connect. We think we're doing the right things. But how can we truly connect? What's the answer to that? Well, I think it might start with truth. And this is where mindfulness comes in. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I met someone 12 days ago. No, 16 days ago. We're already in a relationship and sometimes I get terrified. Mm -hmm. Like it's moving so fast. And then the other night uh, I was waiting all day for her to call me back. And as time went on, I knew she was busy till about nine, but it got till 10. I'm like, where is she? Got till 1030. I started getting triggered. I started like, um, all I knew at the, t at the time was, oh, this feels terrible. Where is she? What's going on? And as I checked in, like my, my, my gut was clenching and I was nervous and I was stressed. 
And my mind's, you know, thinking, what could she be doing for two hours where she's not even checking in to say, hey, I'm going to be a little bit, I'm going to be a while before I get back. So I started getting worried. And that's where I think the mindfulness can come in, like what's happening instead of just when she calls being angry and yelling or attacking, um, I was really trying to look at what's happening. So to me, that's truth. To you, it might be mindfulness. It's like, what's my truth? And then when she did call, I said, um, there is something going on with me. I feel a bit triggered, but I don't want to talk about it yet. I don't feel safe enough. So we talked about some other stuff. I I'd, I'd, I'd just kind of planted the seed, talked about some other stuff, and then I felt more grounded and safe and soothed, and I actually revealed what happened. Mm-hmm. That was very scary for me because that's not the, the sexy masculine image that I want to project. Right. That I'm triggered because I have a lot – I think – I'm assuming because of my abandonment stuff, losing my sister when, when I'm young, I can be pretty sensitive to, wait, have you left already? Have things changed? And I'll be working on this probably for the rest of my life, but I didn't want to reveal it, and yet I'm committed to truth. So I shared, shared it with her, and fortunately I got to a point where I wasn't as triggered and I could not blame her for it. Like, you did nothing wrong. This doesn't seem rational. This is what's happening. And from there I made a request would you be willing to check in more often because I might be wanting some reassurance. And when I realize I want it, like now I will ask for it. And that generated for me, beautiful, beautiful connection. And so I gave myself a chance in revealing the truth to actually feel real love. I can feel like her love for me is real. And in doing that, I also got to love myself and accept and honor myself. So the result, connection with other and connection with self, and it came from truth. David, you love sharing your message of playing for real on stages. What kind of mindfulness do you have to have before you get on that stage and deliver and truly connect with your audience? Great question. I was just asked, I just did a two and a half day training program uh, called the Authentic Man Program. And um, I was a participant in this. And they said, what, what's your process? What do you do when you've got a huge moment coming up and you have to be prepped? And I couldn't think of an actual process. All I could think of was the time when I was about to walk onto na- national television in Australia and play a song wearing a kilt and a, and, and a guitar. And I was so terrified I started worrying I would pee myself, that I would pee, I could say pee my pants, but I'm wearing a kilt. All right. <laughs> so worse. Yeah. And, and I actually, uh, this might be too much information, but I'm going for it. I actually, a few drops came out. Mm. Like I was that scared and I've never had that. And I started actually visualizing peeing, my pant, peeing myself on national yeah. TV. So my preparation for that was to put on two extra pairs of underpants. Mm. That's what I did. (laughs) That's a practical method. Now that might not be what you're going for. Uh Um, I'm usually really, really scared before I go on stage. I mean, even even if it's a a circle of of, uh, people and it's gonna be my turn soon to share a little bit about myself. Mm -hmm. I often get, you know, heart pounding, whatever. It happens a lot. I breathe. 
I breathe, I notice it. I'll take a big deliberate conscious breath, might be really visible. And these days I might make a sound on the exhale like this. And I find that really helps. Also, um, before this interview, I jumped up, I did a few squats and I um, just kind of moved my body around a little bit. And then I took a deep breath. That was how I prepped for this. Mm. So you like to get moving a lot of the time. I think movement's great. We did an exercise at the men's men's course where I pair off against a guy and we've got to try and tap the other guy's knee with it and not let him tap ours. That was amazing. Just like brings all the energy up, gets you in your body and um, had, had me feeling really alive. Yeah. You can really feel alive as a, as a result of that. That's for sure. Well, you have done so many cool things and I'm, I'm, I know that you, um, set up a successful online business and you've, you've done all that thing and then coached other people how to do it. What's the most exciting thing you've done to help others? Well, I published a book. Okay. Maybe, maybe the one of the most exciting things was a, a speech I did on, on T. Harv Eker's stage. Cause you know, I like play. Yes. So if I can influence people, and inspire them and at the same time I get to play then I'm pretty happy right. I got a background in a little bit of acting some theatrical improv I've done the guitar thing on stage I've done stand-up comedy um, and just straight out motivational speaking and boy it was so exciting to have a thousand people stand up and give you a 66 second standing ovation before you open your mouth was an incredible feeling. And then I felt home and then I got to do some fun stuff. I, got, I kind of pranked the audience a little bit, a little bit of showmanship. Um, I had someone stand up in the audience who, who really needed some financial help. And I coached them in five or six minutes about exactly how their website would look, how their niche would look, who they'd serve, boom, 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 including the domain that they would register for the website. And meanwhile, my assistant's listening in through the microphone in another state, and she's busy creating the website from all the information that he got. And then someone ran up and took a picture of us before I went back up on stage, and that was sent to her. And then at the end of the uh, whole speech, I said, oh, there's one more thing. Where's that guy that, 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 really, that we helped? And uh, having come up on stage, I said, I got a gift for you. And... I uh, opened up the computer, put it up on the big screen, and I said, does this look familiar? And the name that he'd mentioned, uh, his face was there, the exact target market that he's looking for. There was a subscription form for his newsletter. There was a blog set up, the whole thing. And I mean, he was blown away. Uh, I think he may have been in tears. And the audience, like there's a thousand people got to their feet. To witness that so that was that was one of my most exciting moments and public moments of, of of serving somebody wow wow that's an incredible story yeah that must have felt amazing for not only him but you yeah that you had pulled that off 
Yeah, it was a, it was fun. The crowd just they they could not believe that this thing that was spoken now existed 60 minutes later. And then I said to them, if I can do that in 60 minutes while I'm on stage talking to you, can you do it in 60 days? And they got the message that yes, this was all doable. And speaking of exciting, um, my next exciting moment is coming up tomorrow morning at eight o'clock for the first time in my life, I'm going into prison to, um, to teach truth. Oh, and to teach authentic relating practices. So if you know, if you check in with me on Friday, I may have a new most exciting experience of serving. Now, do you have any fear to go along with that? No, I don't think there's any fear at all. I mean, I assume there are guard armed guards and, yeah. And and like that, and plus I trust the energy of what we're doing. You know, I mean, I, apparently part of the training, if I'm going to do this in maximum security prisons, is hostage survival. So that's a bit sobering. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, I can't I imagine that they. I imagine they're going to be open, or at least maybe some form of gratitude, and recognize why we're there. So no, I'm not actually afraid. I'm just fascinated by just the, the imagination of, of the experience. I'm like, what's that going to be like? And what's it going to be like to appreciate my own freedom, which I take for granted every day, hour and minute. What's that like? And how do I serve this person? I just, I'm excited to see what happens. You talked about energy. Can you pick up the energy from a coaching client the first time you sit down with them? Can you, is that part of what you do? It's not part of what I admit to. Hmm. So I didn't grow up in that world. I haven't done Reiki courses and whatever. And someone does Reiki, I mean, I can't feel anything. Um, But I used to have this story that I don't understand what people are talking about when they talk about energy. And then I dated three Tantrikas, not all at once. Um, But I noticed, wait, I've dated three Tantrikas and realized that there's a lot of energy running. So I would call it more intuition. I might get a sense of something or an inkling, a thought comes into my head, or I might just notice you seem down about that. Oh, I'm not buying it. You haven't sold me on this. It'll be more like that. I don't talk about chakras and that's not my thing yet. And this new relationship, apparently she's got a lot of experience in Tantra. So maybe I will learn more and more to bring the language into what I'm picking up because I can't tell you. Right. Or like all these other things, I can give you all the distinctions and how it works out. But energy, I just know something feels off or something feels right. And um, yeah. Do you have a morning routine? What What do you do when you get up in the morning first thing? Um. I, I have water sitting by my, by my bed. So I drink, uh, say a liter, liter and a half of water. Um, I will, to be honest, like I'm giving you the, you know, the, the shiny answer, but to be honest, I'll usually reach over and grab my phone and turn it on and hope there are some messages so that it gradually wakes me up. Mm. Um, I like to stay in bed for a while. So I might get the computer and start playing around or, or checking messages with that. And then I go down and I make a green smoothie and I pack the blender full of um, celery and cucumber and, uh, and spinach and just pa- 
hack it and make two days worth of um, this green smoothie so that I'm flooding my body with nutrients. And this isn't something that I've always done. I'm on a 90 day nutritional program right now. Okay. Um, and if I've already made it the day before, then I drink that. Uh, and then I don't do a meditation in the morning. I do that uh, usually around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and if I don't know what to do in my business, then I will sometimes do uh, stream of consciousness writing. And I, I'll use the computer because I just don't like writing. And I'll do stream of consciousness to just dump out what's in my head. And every time I come up with a to-do list that I, I really want to do. Very good. Very good. Well, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So the first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life, David? And I'll answer briefly because I, I need to get going to this uh, yeah. prison workshop. Um, Byron Katie. Okay. And how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, it's let me realize they're there. That's the first thing. And I can't tell you if that has had an impact on them. I imagine they might diminish, but I can't tell you what happens because I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I need to be more mindful about what happens when I'm mindful about the emotions. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing is huge. I deliberately before this, I, I took a five second breath, held it for five seconds, let it out. Um, I breathe for 20 minutes during my meditation each day. And when I'm nervous, when I notice that I'm nervous, it's the first thing I go to. Yeah. Hmm. If you could recommend a book which is related to mindfulness, what would that be? Loving what is and the power of now. They go very well together. The power of now tells you what to do. Loving what is can show you how to actually do it. And can you share an app which helps with mindfulness in any way in your life? Yeah. Um, I was wondering how linked it is to mindfulness, but I wrote an app to help me connect deeper in conversation with people, bring up a question that I wouldn't normally ask. It's a bit too deep. And uh, I think that's got to lead to some mindfulness and connection. And it's called Get Real. Get real, a question game to go deeper. All right. Well, we'll put all of this in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. But I know that you have something that you can offer to our listeners. So tell us about that. Yes. If something in this conversation resonated with you, sparked an idea like, wait, this guy might be able to help me get more of what I really want in life, then I invite you to request a session. Just go to playforreal.life, click on the request a session button uh, for a coaching session. And let me stop that mindfulness reminder. Um, and I can't say yes to everybody, but I can say yes, uh, yes to most people who request a session. And I don't charge for this. I'll help you create a plan for your life. And if you want to implement it alone, I hope you'll let me know how it goes. And if you want support implementing the plan, then we can talk about long-term coaching. This is how I find the right people for me to work with. What a great offer. And it's playforreal.life. Yep, dot .life so. with an F for freedom, life. Awesome. 
Well, David, it's been great talking to you. And if you're listening to this, don't hesitate. Don't put it on hold. Don't put it on the back burner. Go to playforreal.life and set something up with David and make your life the life that you really truly want. Yes, so that you can lay on your deathbed whenever that moment comes and just say, I gave it everything. I really lived. I'd love to chat with you. Awesome. Thanks so much, David, for being on the show. My privilege. Thanks, Bruce. And I'm glad to meet you. Yeah, you too. Bye now. Ciao. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Release Your Overwhelm Guided Meditation for $4.99. Abandon your inner blocks, surrender your stress, and become more focused with the calming sound of the waves and reminders about how you can release your blocks that are holding you back. Download this full-length 30-minute guided meditation at mindfulnessmode.com release. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>